foolish Galatians, who has betwitched you, who has confused you, who has taken your eyes off of what you know to be true. What was begun in the spirit, this newness of life, the gospel response, are you now trying to perfect or continue in the flesh? Are you moving from what you know to be a spiritual reality and, and, and the work of God himself to now making it all about your own efforts? I feel like so often that is the case in churches and with Christians. We understand it's by grace we've been saved through faith and then we spend the rest of our lives trying to work it all out. And there is, there is work to be done in a sense, but well, m- most of that work is just removing the garbage so that the Lord can work through us. It's taking the weeds out of the garden, making sure our hearts are not, you know, uh, the, the noise of the world doesn't drown out the voice of God, that still small voice. And so last week we began to talk about faith, and as Jamie mentioned, we're not talking necessarily about a saving faith, although it begins there. We're talking about a faith for the faithful or a faith for us. We're talking about a faith that's so real that it produces lives marked by a radical trust in God. True faith results in lives entrusted to him. And so we said last week that saving faith is not about what we feel, but it's about the truth of what God has done. By grace you have been saved through faith. And we said that God's grace is what grounds everything. And we are in a process still. We are called to walk it out. We need to learn that our faith is less about us and more about Him. We said last week that our, fo- our faith grows not simply with information, but it grows in relationship. That as we walk with Jesus, as we get a, a deeper, not just knowledge for knowledge's sake, but a deeper relational understanding of who God is, as we walk with him and as we trust him with little things and we see that he's trustworthy, we see that unlike us, that he's always faithful. We're, we're sometimes faithful at best. And we see that he's always faithful. And so last week we went to the great faith chapter in Hebrews and we began the sermon message with that. Faith in what we don't see. And I'm going to read the message version again, Hebrews 11, 1 and 2. And it says, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. That's a true statement. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. So this morning, we'll continue together to talk and look at a type of faith that pleases God. And the reason for this is it's so important because I believe that when people get to the end of their lives, they're going to regret those things that God asked them to do, but that they were afraid to. Those things that they didn't have enough faith to do. If only I had done that. And it's not the same. God doesn't ask you to do the same thing he asked me. Some, I mean, sometimes there's similarities. But we know when we hear the voice of God, and oftentimes... We dismiss what he says. Oftentimes we don't have the faith to walk out what we cannot see. Yesterday I did my devotions, my most for his highest, so Oswald Chambers is part of my regular devotional reading, and I read this yesterday, and the title was this, 
Are you discouraged or devoted? And I want to read a little bit because I think it ties exactly into what we're talking about. Jesus said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and come and follow me. But when he heard this, he became sorrowful for he was very rich. We know the story in Luke. But that story is not about materialism or possessions necessarily. That story is about God asking an individual to give up everything to follow him and that individual not being able to because of something that's holding him back. And that speaks to each one of us because God has called each one of us to do something, to do special, something special, something different. But each one of us have our own reasons that sometimes we're not walking in that if we're not. Have you ever heard the master say something very difficult to you? This is Oswald, Oswald Chambers. If you haven't, I question whether you have ever heard him say anything at all. Jesus says a tremendous amount to us that we listen to but do not actually hear. Remember this whole word, it seems like it's been part of the theme for, for the whole year, that Shema, that hear and obey. Seems like we, we listen, we hear the words, but we don't respond. And once we do hear him, his words are harsh and unyielding. Jesus did not show the least concern that this rich young ruler should do what he told him. Nor did Jesus make any attempt to keep the man with him. He simply said, sell all that you have and come and follow me. Our Lord never pleaded with him. He never tried to lure him. He simply spoke the strictest words that human ears have ever heard. And then he left him alone. Have I ever heard Jesus say something difficult and unyielding to me? Has he said something personally to me which I have deliberately listened, not something I can explain for the sake of others, but something I have heard him say directly for me? Oswald says, this man understood what Jesus said. He said it clearly, realizing the full impact of its meaning, and it broke his heart. He did not go away as a defiant person, but as one who was sorrowful and discouraged. He had come to Jesus on fire with zeal and determination, but the words of Jesus simply froze him. And instead of producing enthusiastic devotion to Jesus, they produced heartbreaking discouragement, and Jesus did not go after him, but let him go. He closes and says, Our Lord knows perfectly well that once his word is truly heard, it will bear fruit sooner or later. What is so terrible is that some of us prevent his words from bearing fruit in this present life. And so this morning, the lesson is that this not happened to any one of us. That instead, each of us bear, uh, live lives that bear fruit for the kingdom. That each of us see our lives living as a vessel, a conduit, so that he shines his light through each of us. What I want is that each of us to get to end of the, uh, the end of our lives and live Ephesians 3.20 kind of lives. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him, Christ, who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is in work, at work within us. You see, there's a God who doesn't just want to, you know, take that struggle away from you. He doesn't just want to change that situation. But he wants to do immeasurably more than you can even ask or imagine. He's just waiting for you to take that little step of faith. Uh, um, Max, uh, um, drawing a blank, the guy that, Max Lucado 
wrote a book one time, and one of the things he said is that if the journey of faith is a, is a thousand steps, that God takes 999 of them and he just bids that we take the one. And so this morning we're going to talk about what it means to have that little bit of faith that can produce great results in our lives because that little bit of faith is in a great God. Amen? Father, we come here this morning and we ask that you help us to be present. Father, in a world where everything is able to distract us, in a world where uh, everything is designed to grab and keep our attention, God, we pray that you help us to be still, to be present. Father, we know it's only the power of your spirit and your word that can minister to us. And so we ask that you do that now, God. Father, that you change us. Father, that you make us more like your son, Jesus. That we be used of you, that we be living epistles as you've called us to. And so, Father, help us to hear and obey this word this morning. We love you. We're grateful. Not just for your provision, but for your extravagant, abundant provision, God. For the way that you just meet and exceed the needs of your people, God. Help us to be as generous as you are with us. Help us to be as faithful as you are with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we said that when the Bible talks about faith, it's an active faith. We said that it's a faith that saves. It's a faith that heals it's a faith that makes you well, that delivers, that gives understanding, that helps us to not have fear. We said that we're saved by faith alone, but we know that a faith that saves is never alone. And we were reminded at Hebrews eleven six, 6, it says, without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and that he awards those who seek him. So to recap, last week we began and we looked at uh, Hebrews chapter 11, which is the great faith chapter, and we read that by faith, that real faith results in action, that it bears fruit, that, that faith is what grounds it, that's the noun, and what, what comes out of that faith is a world, is a, wor- uh, a life that we're living as trustworthy, is a world filled with trust where each and every day we trust the Lord with our lives. So we move from faith in him to trusting in him each and every day. We said by faith Abel offered, by faith Enoch was taken up, by faith Noah constructed, by faith Abraham obeyed, by faith Sarah received power, And then we said that these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For the people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. In other words, people of faith are less concerned with simply this life. And they understand that we're living in exile here, that we're strangers, that we're passing through, that there's an eternity that awaits us. By faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. And we we went through that whole list. 
And the Bible says some of these people were tortured, refusing to accept release. In other words, they were tortured. All they had to do was confess Jesus, but they, they would not do that, and they were tortured so that might, they might rise again to a better life. Verse 36 says, Other, Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheeps and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. Those of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. In other words, though they lived lives that were faithful, and though they went through all those difficulties and struggles and trials, they did not in their lifetime see the Messiah. They do not get to see Jesus as we do, as the New Testament people. We now live in a time that they only saw from a distance. And so verse 40 says, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. So the question is, is your name, is my name going to be on the list of the heroes of faith? Because again, he doesn't call us all to the same thing, but he does call us all to something. So what is it that you're doing when the Bible continues to be written by faith, Dylan, by faith, Chris, by faith, Jamie? What is it that he's called you to do? And then what is it that's stopping you from that calling? I remember years ago, they used to have a thing at the Heinz Convention Center called Congress. Some of you remember that, right? Been a Christian for a long time. It was like a big, you know, Christian convention. And I remember Gary Taylor, who's the founding pastor of this church, I remember he invited me and we went, and this had to have been like 20 years ago. Long, long time ago. And I remember we were sitting and having lunch outside that, and I remember he said, if you could do anything in the world, if money was no object and you could just do anything, what would you do? And I knew it was kind of a setup, right? You passed to ask a question like that. And I said I would work with drug addicts in a Christian setting. And then he said, well, why don't you do that? And it was like, well, why don't I do that? Because I'm working with computers and I'm making a lot of money and that's not even a possibility. And how could I ever do that? And oh, you simple man, how could, you know, you don't even understand. Years and years later, of course, when Teen Challenge asked me to, to stay on staff, which had to have been like 12, 12 years after this conversation. My wife reminded me, remember that? What is it that maybe, maybe it's something that's been on your heart for a long time. Maybe God's been dealing with you for this for years and years. You know, if money was no object, in other words, if it didn't cost anything, if there was no risk, what would God have you do? And then why aren't you doing it? I wanted to be comfortable. I didn't want to take the risk that I would not be comfortable. You see, the fruit that God wants to produce and in through us, he's going to produce. God knew at that moment when I was having that conversation what my life would become 20 years later. For we walk by faith, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, and not by sight living our lives in a manner consistent with our confident belief in God's promises. Do we do that? Faith, not just faith, but faith in action. By faith, what? 
Ask yourself in your life, what have you done by faith? We know what we've received by faith. We know what God's done. We know the rewards we get by faith. But by faith, what have you done? Where have you moved and trust and obedience of God? No matter what things look like today. Faith is saying that God has not stopped working out all the good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. I read this quote to you last week. And it's A.W. Tozer, great man of God, and he said this, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. This morning, the takeaway sentence, that's the deal, I'll say something to help you remember, and you leave here with a tangible question. You leave here and you say, how can I apply this to my life? You ask and you answer regarding how will this lesson make you more like Jesus? Be a light. Be a light. Sounds simple. We all want to say, well, I I hope I'm a light. Be a light. To be a light, we know you have to be connected to the source. Be a light. Jesus has called us to be salt and light. We exist so that people may come to know Jesus. Please, please understand that no matter what, whatever else you are in life, a mother, a father, a spouse, a brother, a sister, a citizen, uh, whatever you do for a job, whatever other titles you hold, the first role, the first, your identity is to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. It's to be salt and light. It's to be a living epistle. Not so you can say, hey, come to my church and talk to my pastor. Or, you know, let me get you in touch with this guy because I think he's further along than me. In fact, very often, the leaders, and we're going to see in our example, the leaders aren't the people of the great faith. The whole religious system of Jesus' day, the, the leaders were the people who were who? The Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, they had the right theology, Their theology wasn't wrong. It wasn't about intellect or knowledge. They had the right knowledge. And we spend, and I'm a knowledge guy. I love the word and I love studying. I'm in school now and I'm not, don't misunderstand me. But if all that knowledge doesn't lead to a heart that's broken for people who don't know Jesus, then you've missed the point. And when people, when people, when you ask people that aren't Christians and you say, describe to me a Christian, you know what they do? They describe a Pharisee. All the time. Well, they're arrogant, they're hypocritical, they're judgy, you know, they think they're better than everybody else. That's not Jesus. Jesus wasn't like that. So we're called to be a light. We're called to be a reflection of him. To be light in a dark world. You can only live as a light if you have faith. And those who are faithful must be willing to admit a faith weakness, must be honest in their self-assessments. And so that's what we're going to look at here. In Mark 9, 14 through 29, it's, it's okay, our leaders should have faith, and it's okay to look up to people but not as the end all. People will let you down. I'll let you down. Pastor Jamie will let you down. People are going to let you down. God will never let you down. When people say, well, you know, I don't like Christians. I don't like the church. You know, yeah, Christians do this and Christians do that. I'm like, you know what? My church, we don't follow Christians. So that's okay. All these problems you have with Christians, we don't follow Christians at my church. 
We follow Jesus. When Paul says, follow my example, he says what? As I follow the example of Christ. There's always that caveat there. Do what I do, live as I live, as I live for Jesus. As I walk out my trust and my faith. And so in the story, there's a lot here, and we're going to read Mark 9. If you have the church Bibles, verse 14, yell it, uh, the, the page number out if you find it in the church Bible. Thank you, 1005. And there's a few lessons here. It's a story that's, that's well known. Jamie mentioned it in the opening. It says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes were arguing with them. How many times in the Bible the Pharisees just arguing? And then the Pharisees were arguing, and the Pharisees argued with Jesus, and then the Pharisees were debating, and the Pharisees were arguing. Jesus and Paul both say the same thing, that the law is fulfilled in the loving of God and the loving of our neighbor. Do you put any effort into those relationship categories? I mean, we know that Jesus goes through great length to explain who our neighbor is. We know very well the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you know who it was that failed the, the man who was injured? It was the religious people that failed. It was the people that are supposed to know the most about God that walked right by. God, may that never be us. You see, it was the outcasts and the lowly class who knew how to love sacrificially. Because listen, faithful living will cost you. Faithful living will always cost you. Jesus warns us to count the cost. But we stop preaching that kind of thing. We want to fill our churches so we give motivational speeches and we play the PR people for God because we want bigger crowds, but Jesus always made increasingly difficult demands and the crowd shrank. You know, when the rich young ruler, when Jesus made this, this, he had this exchange and the rich young ruler went away sad, Jesus didn't follow after him. You think it's because he didn't love him? No, scripture says Jesus looked at him and he felt a great love for him. I don't know what happened to that guy. But if he never repented, if he never turned his life around, that's one of the, the most sad, the, one of the saddest stories in all the Bible. But I look back at my own life and I, I can count a dozen of those exchanges where Jesus asked something of me and I looked and I said, ah, I don't know if I'm willing to spend that, Jesus. And he said, okay. And he walked away. And I was left there in my sadness. Because deep down inside, we know that if God asks you to do something, you should do it. But we convince ourselves. And immediately, verse 15, all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, and they ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. Jesus, what I did was I asked the experts. I asked the people who were supposed to know the most. The people who are supposed to have the most faith. My trust is, is in them to some degree, Jesus. And they let me down. 
And Jesus says this, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Most of us know the story well. The story of a father who had a son with an evil spirit in him. And the father brings the son to Jesus, and Jesus mentions that if one has faith, then it's possible to cast this demon out. And so most of us know this popular phrase, I believe, help my unbelief. And so typically what we do is we look on this man as being weak in faith. This poor man, he just wants to believe in Jesus so that his son can be healed. And so we focus on the weak faith of the father, but really, this story is not about the weak faith of the father. This story is about the weak faith of the leaders. It's the leaders that Jesus is upset with. It's the leaders that Jesus is proving a point to. It's those of us who've been, a church in, the, been in the church for a while and should know better, but we've gotten complacent with our Bible reading. And we haven't really believed in the power of prayer. And so what we've, what we've begun is we've begun to just do things out of habit and out of ritual. And we forgot what real faith means. The problem of faith is not the dad, it's the disciples. It's the leaders who are weak here, not the common people. The first few verses really orient us to what's happening in the story. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. And immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up. And he said, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with his spirit. Makes him mute whenever it sees him and dashes him to the ground. You disciples, we asked them to cast it out, but they couldn't do it. These men who had been with Jesus and heard Jesus and saw Jesus didn't have faith. These verses highlight the inability of the disciples to heal the boy. There's an argument taking place between Jesus' disciples and the scribes, and probably the scribes are giving the disciples a difficult time because of their inability to heal the boy. So the scribes are questioning the power of Jesus because of the faith of the disciples. Imagine their embarrassment. 
trying to heal this boy, but they don't have enough faith. And so the scribes mock them, and there's a huge argument. And Jesus now gets involved, and he discovers what's happening. The boy is a demon, and the disciples can't heal him. And so look at his response in verse 19. Jesus is upset and annoyed by the religious leaders. The them could be directed at the scribes and the disciples. It's certainly not directed at the boy and his father. It's the, the leaders that Jesus is, is discouraged and annoyed with. You know, I remember when I first became a Christian, and, you know, I was excited, and, you know, telling everybody about my faith, and you can sometimes have that zeal, and, you know, everything's about Jesus. And I remember this guy. I'll never forget. I remember he said to me, yeah, I used to be like that too. You know, when I first became a Christian, you know, you tell everybody about the Lord, and you get all excited. He goes, it'll wear off. Really? It'll wear off 10 years from now, you know, 20 years from now. It's like anything new. You know, I, I know that guy. I know none of his kids have faith today. Is it any wonder? None of his kids have any faith. My faith is increasing. I'm more excited about Jesus now than I was 20 or 30 years ago. I continue to see him unfold miracle after miracle and change lives and families every day. I, can't, I still talk about Jesus, and now I, I have more difficulty because usually I cry before I can get the words out. It'll wear off. Did he ever really know Jesus? These people who profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, do they ever really know him? I don't think so. Jesus cannot believe the lack of faith in the disciples and the religious leaders. These are the disciples who are supposed to take the ministry of Christ from him when he's gone, seem to lack a strong faith. It's the leaders that are letting the Lord down, the perceived spiritual giants that have a mouse-sized mouse faith. I think spiritual weakness in leadership is one of the great problems in the church today. We have supposed church leaders who are more informed by culture and more interested in, in book deals or in selling things or in you know, uh, you know, numbers for the sake of numbers. We, remember we said we're not criticizing. If a church has 10,000 people, that's souls. So that's always a good thing if the gospel's being preached. But numbers for the sake of numbers... I mean, you can have a concert and 20, 40,000 people show up. A lot of people in the pews are looking to the leadership to be a guide, to guide the congregation into the future. People are looking to the ministers, the elders, and the older saints to lead the charge into Satan's camp. The problem is, in some churches, the leadership lacks faith. In some churches, the leadership's just, you know, just going through the motions. May that never be the case for any one of us. But the lesson here is that you need to have your own faith. You can't have my faith. You can't have Pastor Jamie's faith. Our faith should inspire others. As we said in Hebrews 11, the whole thing's about being encouraged and inspired by other people's faith. Why? So that you can then live out your call. You can live in a manner worthy of your calling, of what Jesus has asked you to do, and then your story encourages others. I don't want you to just tell people my story. 
I want you to tell people your story. Often in churches today, the leaders have failed. But Jesus, once again, will succeed. And as the text continues, you see the contrast between the attitude of the leaders and the attitude of the common man. The man's background is not given. His faith is not given. But his attitude toward faith is demonstrated. We see it in verses 20 through 24. And they, bought the bo- they brought the boy to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has thrown him into both fire and water. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and began saying, I do believe. Help my unbelief. This boy's in terrible condition. He's lost control of his body. He's foaming at the mouth. And Jesus is taking a concern. And this boy, asking the father how long he's been like this, can you imagine as a parent seeing your child suffer and being unable to do anything about it? There's nothing worse. I can't imagine anything worse than that, than being a parent and standing by and watching your child suffer and being helpless to do anything. And so the father brings the boy to the religious leaders, to the disciples, hoping that they could heal him. But once again, the religious leaders have failed this boy and this man. But you see, there is one that never fails. You have to take the boy to Jesus. And all this father wants is some relief for his boy. He needs some pity. He doesn't need religious pomp. He doesn't need people showing off. He needs pure pity from the Lord. And so notice the reaction of Jesus to the Father. Jesus states that he can. Jesus says, if you can. Jesus is saying that if you can believe in me, then your boy can be healed. And so we see Jesus performs the miracle because of the faith of the Father. It's the Father's faith that heals the boy. It's not the leaders or the scribes or the disciples. It's because of the simple faith of the Father. The Father who shows this attitude of faith when he cries out, I do believe, help my unbelief. You see, the plea of faith, real faith, always cries this phrase. True faith is understanding how inaccurate we are, how uh, unable we are, even in our faith to fully come to him, I do believe. I do believe with everything in me, help me when I doubt. It's an honesty, it's a humility, it's a desperation. The man whose faith is rock solid and and, and makes that claim, how often is that religious leader saying that for, for everybody else to hear? The problem is that too many people who believe they have strong faith are the ones who are weak in the faith. Maybe it's not always, maybe it hasn't always been this way. It could have started out with a simple prayer, but with time, the strong became the weak. It's those who attend services every week but never read the Bible. 
the elders who meet every week about the church but haven't prayed sincerely in their own homes, the ministers who preach but don't read the word for spiritual growth. You see, the problem, the problem is often that once people feel they've become strong in the faith, they get spiritually lazy. See, this, this, this message speaks to everybody. It speaks to you of little faith. It speaks to you who think you have a lot of faith. Satan always tries to destroy the faith in the leadership and those who are serving and those who are examples. And if we're not careful, it's the leadership that stops growing in faith. You see, it's not enough to know what we should do if we're not doing it. The disciples knew what they were supposed to do. They saw it done. If you've been around church for a while, you know what it's supposed to look like. You know what words to say. You can, you can be undercover as a Christian and everybody will believe. But in your moments of quiet desperation with the Lord, are you honest enough to plead with him? You see, the natural re result of spiritual laziness is a loss of faith. That man who said, yo, someday, you know, that'll wear off. Jesus doesn't wear off. It gets better and better and better. I have a friend that's, that's a, a pastor, and he said, and you've heard me probably say this before, but he said, you know, I've seen people that have been a Christian for 50 years, and I've seen some people that have been a Christian for a year just 50 times over. They've never grown. They've never given more. They've never, they've never served more. They've never really changed their demeanor. They just did the same thing over and over again. They become complacent. This can happen to any of us. And it usually happens to the most secure and faithful Christians, to the Sunday regulars, to the Wednesday night folks. I read somewhere once that religion either makes the very best or the very worst kinds of people. You see, we can fall into the Pharisee trap. It's the ones who are strong that will become the ones who are weak if we are not careful. Unless we follow this advice from the Lord. Jesus tells us how to solve this problem in the church. Mark 9, 9 25 through 29. 29. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapid, rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up, and he got up. And when he had come into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. And then Jesus heals him, picks the boy up, and gives him a new life. When the disciples come in the house, they want to know why they can't heal this boy. And Jesus is saying, oh, it's only through the power of prayer. The power of prayer is the solution. Jamie just mentioned about Thursday night. But we have people in our families that don't know Jesus. Are we praying for them? And I don't mean have you prayed for them once. I mean are you praying for them? Because Jesus is saying it's not enough to know everything. It's not even enough to have good intentions. 
But do you, do you really have the kind of faith that believes that if you speak to God, that if you communicate with him, that prayer has power? That not only does prayer change outcomes, but it changes us. It changes the people we pray for. You see, usually it's the first thing to go. We de-emphasize it. Well, if I get a chance, I'll do it. We give God the leftovers, and we want to have, we want to have strong faith. We want to make an impact for Jesus. We just don't want to do it the way he tells us to. The lesson here is that the only thing that's going to keep you strong in the faith is to be prayerful. Remember I told you in the beginning it's relationship that builds, that builds trust. It's, it's only through a relationship that your faith is increased. Prayer in its essence and its simplicity is communication with God. All relationships are based on communication. Bidirectional, two-way communication. If you're so busy with your own noise, when do you hear that still small voice? This is a warning to those of us who say, I've been in church. I know how to do it. And Jesus is saying, don't, don't lose that understanding. Don't lose that I believe, help my unbelief kind of faith. Because if you get complacent, you get spiritually lazy, if you think it's about what you know instead of about who you know, you've lost it. I want you to write about a difficulty in your life, and I'm not going to ask you if you did this. But this week, I want you to write down a difficulty in your life, something that you're, that you're going through. It could be related to something. If some of you, if you know God's asked you to do something and you've been struggling with that, it could be that. But I want you to take a week, and I want you to pray specifically, intentionally, about this situation, about something that's bothering you or causing you pain or, 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 or it's, it's a faith struggle. And I want you to write a prayer to God over this problem. I want you to pray specifically about this difficulty. And through this, your faith will remain strong. Listen, spiritual leaders cannot guide a flock Members cannot have strong faith and ministers cannot preach if there is not prayer. The devil is still trying to steal and kill and destroy. But we must as a body remember John in 4.4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Paul at the end of his ministry could say, I have kept the faith I've fought the good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. We all should desire in our lives to one day hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And in order for that to be the case, we must hold fast to our faith. And ask the worship team to come up as I close. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful. Are we aware that we are living in communion with the Lord daily? Acts 14.22 Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. You see, we need to know what it looks like to live daily our faith, not just on a Sunday. 
And that means regular devotions and prayer and reading the word. That means we must be obedient to the faith we have received. Romans 1.5. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. We need to stand firm and not give up to be doers of the word. Tozer again said this, the Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience, nor does it recognize any obedience that does not spring from faith. They are two sides of the same coin. Faith leads to obedience. That means when people look at your life, they they see that you're living your life according, not necessarily to your will, but the will of the one who called you. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 admonishes us, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous and strong. We are strong when we watch, live, and speak the word of God. When we give of ourselves, our time, our resources, and our prayers. What is stopping you? I read this fact. The African impala can jump to a height of over 10 feet and cover a distance greater than 30 feet. These magnificent creatures can be kept in an enclosure in any zoo with a three-foot wall. They can jump over 10 feet. But if there's a three-foot wall, they won't jump. They'll stay in the enclosure. Because if they can't see where their feet will fall, it'll hold them back. True faith is the ability to trust what we cannot see. And with faith, we are freed from the flimsy enclosures of life that only fear allows to entrap us. A pastor once said this, the more we know of God, the more unreservedly we will trust him. The greater our progress in theology, the simpler and more childlike will be our faith. Some of us need to get back to the basics. As the band begins to play, I want to pray for each of us. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this word. It's a difficult word for us to hear, particularly leaders, particularly those of us who've been part of this thing for a while, who've been walking with you for a while. Help us never to make it routine or habitual just something we do. But Father, help it to be about a relationship with you, a growing, vibrant relationship where we fall deeper in love. Father, help each of us to honestly say, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, you've called us. You've called us to live in this community. You've called us to live for you. And you call each of us to to live that out in a different way. And I know that it took a long time for me to live in obedience to you. That, That I missed out by not having the faith. But I'm so grateful for your love and your mercy and your grace and your faithfulness that you still will bear that fruit. And so, Father, help us to be honest with you. Help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us to take an inventory and ask ourselves, what's stopping us 
There's never a time, there's never a, a time in our faith where we've arrived, where we're done now, where we're not growing anymore. You bid all of us to go deeper, to give more, to serve more, to love more. We cannot even begin to do that without you. So Father, increase our faith. Give us a hunger and thirst for your word, for your presence in our lives. Continue to have your way in and through this this local body of believers that we might change the world for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Please stand.